You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. We come to our reading, Psalm 29, which is a psalm of David. So hear now the word of God. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood, The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Hallelujah. Or rather, maybe glory. I did think we could could have done this as a responsive psalm, and you could have cried in verse 9, glory. That is the response of God's people gathered in his house. Well, I wonder when the last time you heard of a thunderstorm was and what you did during the thunderstorm. We typically uh, wait for the the flash and then count and see how many seconds it takes for the rumble of thunder. And you can figure out whether the great thunderstorm is heading towards you or whether it's heading away from you. And there's that great sense of, awe and majesty as you hear the rumble and the crack of thunder. It's awesome. And in this psalm, we're taught that the awesomeness of the thunderstorm teaches us of our creator, of the Lord. And we're taught that the Lord is the saving refuge of his people. So what I want to do, I want to just do a little quick introduction back in the Psalms, into this psalm. And then just we're going to look at this psalm in three parts. Look at the first two verses, um, the worship of the Lord in in the heavens. And then look at this central section, verses 3 to 9, the voice of the Lord on the earth. There are these, uh, voice of the Lord, that phrase comes seven times there in, in the middle. And then the last two verses, the Lord is king forever. So there are four lines, and then these seven times, the voice of the Lord, and then at the end, uh, another four lines. But first, uh, just a, a quick introduction. I know you've been in the Psalms this morning, so I perhaps don't, don't need to do this, but just in case Michael messed it all up this morning while I was away. Um, 
Psalm 29 is book one of the Psalter, which has five books in the Psalter, not four, as I think my colleague may have, may have mentioned this one. Five books. Um, and, and really, book one of the Psalter, um, you have David, um, God is establishing his kingdom in the midst of this just rampant evil and injustice. You have, after the introductory psalm, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, you have David in the midst of many enemies, surrounded by enemies, crying out to God continually. But then you have um, Psalm 8, which is a psalm of creation, and David looks up and says, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's a creation psalm. And then David's back in the valley, back amongst enemies. But then you have Psalm 19. And he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. David's looking up and seeing that the glory of the heavens declaring God's glory. And then he's amongst enemies again. And then we come to, to Psalm 29, which is another psalm of creation. As David sees this great thunderstorm and gives glory to God in the midst of the storm. And this idea of God's, uh, God in the storm and then God's temple as a place of refuge seems to be in these, in these psalms. The next psalm is about the dedication of the temple. So this, this theme of the, really the whole of creation is like a cosmic temple, but then the temple is the refuge for his people comes to prominence in this psalm. So it was a, crea- a creation psalm, and it's all about the Lord. The, Lord, the name of the Lord is mentioned 18 times in the psalm. The, the Lord, the, the great covenant God who delivered his people out of Egypt um, and revealed himself to, to Moses and then through the mighty acts in Exodus. And one commentator, I think very helpfully said, that the, noted that the psalm starts with glory in excelsis. It starts with glory in the highest heavens. And then it moves down to peace to his people on earth. There's this movement from heaven to earth. And so we come to verses 1 and 2. The worship of the Lord in heaven. Verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. David is, is making this call to worship and calling the heavenly beings to worship. The word translated to heavenly beings is the, the word, as we had actually in the psalm, uh, translated sons of God. And sometimes there in, in the book of Job, we have the, the sons of God coming before uh, the Lord in heaven. And other places, we're not quite sure whether these sons of God are heavenly beings or earthly princes. You might remember back to our studies in Genesis 6 and that interesting passage there. But here we have David calling on the heavenly beings um, to worship the Lord. And we have that in in other psalms. In Psalm 103, which our our last hymn is based on, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, uh, David says this is, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. So you think of David, he's, he's calling the angelic realm to, to worship God. Perhaps he's been seeing the, the, the Ark of the Covenant or, or reading of it or reading of the tabernacle. The throne room of God is represented as surrounded by angelic beings in the scriptures. And they, they praise God. They cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
But it does raise a question. How, how is it that David here, David, the son of Jesse, David, who was the shepherd boy, how can he call the angelic world to order? Can David command angels? Can he call them to hurry up angels? It's choir practice. Can he command the angels and that sort of thing? Well, I think David is speaking here He's speaking prophetically, and he's speaking in his office as Messiah, as the king. It's a, it's a glimpse, I think, of, think of Christ, the son of God, the second Adam, the one who is worshipped by angels and who has regained the lost dominion of Adam. Christ enthroned on high, surrounded by the heavenly host and calling all of creation, the heavenly throne room and, and uh, the rest of creation, to worship. It's incredible, isn't it? I think there's a glimpse there of just Christ enthroned on high. Or for, for some people, and perhaps some of you here, this talk of angels and, and heavenly beings might cause uh, an eyebrow to raise. We live in a culture, don't we, in the modern West, where um, talk of angels and heavenly beings, that's thought to be something, a, a sort of hangover from those primitive superstitions that we really ought to have grown out of by now. Um, I was teaching a class in Germany once teaching a, a, an English class and the conversation got round to, I was supposed to, I'm supposed to be teaching business English, it got round to, did I believe in life on other planets? Um, and I said, well, I'm not sure about life on other planets, uh, but I do believe in angels. Now, there was much discussion around the class uh, in, in German. They said, was, was hat er gesagt? What has he said? Engel? Angels? Um, and there was great surprise that in the 21st century, this otherwise sane-looking uh, teacher would believe in angels. Well, the Bible teaches us unashamedly that God exists, that there's a creator God, and that he created all things visible and invisible, including principalities and powers and heavenly realms and heavenly beings, and including men and women created in his image as his image bearers, made to have communion and fellowship with the living God. And if we, as a culture, if we obliterate angels on the basis that we have to obliterate God, we also end up obliterating human beings made in his image. And we're just left with biological machines which have come from who knows where and have no meaning or no purpose at all. So uh, let us unashamedly keep the angels um, in our Bibles and in our conversations. Actually, it was Francis Schaeffer, the evangelist, apologist, he said that when you're talking to modern, uh, modern men and women, it's not a bad idea sometimes uh, if you're talking about the Christian faith, to mention angels. And he said, at least if you do that, they'll know that you're not just talking about a system of morality. Do you know that you've had those conversations with people and you know, they think you've got a better way of organising your moral affairs and your ethical system than them. And sometimes, you know, Schaefer, I mean, you, you can try this at home or with your friends, just, to just drop in the angels and see, see how that goes. But here we have the, the biblical worldview, the worship of in, in the angelic realm, in the highest heavens. But then verses 3 to 9 we have the voice of the Lord uh, on the earth, the Lord speaking from heaven. 
And the voice, as I said, the voice of the Lord is mentioned seven times here. It reminds us of the seven days of creation. And the psalm ends with this note of peace. So we think of the seven days of creation, starts with the, the waters and ending with peace, ending with the Sabbath rest. Now, the, the days, these voice of the Lord doesn't map onto the days of creation, but there's, there's various creation themes in this psalm. But verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. Well, where are these waters? What are these waters? Um, well, David, I mean, he might, may have seen storms rising over the great sea, over the Mediterranean, these, these great thunderheads rising up. How high are they? Sort of 13, 14 miles high. And the path, path of the storm would be um, over, the, over the mountains of Lebanon and then crashing down through into to Israel and down to the south, to the desert of Kadesh. Um, so the, the voice of the Lord over the waters, thinking of, of the great sea there. But these words, don't they? They recall for us uh, Gen- Genesis. Remember Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. So the many waters, we're reminded of the, the creation account. And, and we remember that the, the Lord creates by his powerful word, that refrain that comes in Genesis. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God structures and organizes and orders everything by his word. And by Christ, the word of God, uh, God upholds the universe uh, through his powerful word. Whereas in, whereas in Genesis 1, the voice of the Lord is, is creating, here in this psalm you have destruction, you have decreation, you have elements raging, and, and the nation, the, 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 the cedars splitting apart. This, this Lord is um, acting in devastating power. So verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. You just contemplate that just the power, the immense power of a thunderstorm. Um, someone's worked out that the great storm of, of 87, some of you may be old enough to remember 87, and the great storm that, that ripped through the United Kingdom, that, that actually that, that had approximately um, 20, well, over 20,000 times more power than an atomic bomb, than the bomb that dropped on Hiroshima. You think the immense power of a thunderstorm there. And we, in that, we perceive something of the power and majesty of God. We're told in, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, For God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So God makes known through these things his um, great glory, his great power. Now often we, we sort of, we, by nature, we suppress the truth of God. As we see his glory shining out in the create, created order, we suppress that truth. I remember a, a friend of mine um, we're in the car and there's a beautiful sunset. And I made some remark. I said, well, look, look at that more more evidence of a loving creator. And my, my friend, who wasn't a believer, said, bah, evidence. Um, it didn't really consider the sunset to be 
great evidence. It reminded me a bit of the, you remember the dwarves at the, in the last battle who have all these, these wonderful signs of the, the goodness of creation and they, they are blind to it all. That is all of us by nature. But the wonder of the gospel is that our eyes are opened afresh to the glory of God revealed in the heavens, in the created order, that without fear we can come before God who's created all things. Or verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Um, Well, the cedars of Lebanon were these famous great trees, strong trees which were used in building projects, used actually in, in the temple. But the storm of God came and just shattered them, broke them apart as if they were sort of matchsticks. They just shattered. And then verse 6, he, the Lord, makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. And the picture here is the, the ground itself, like as in an earthquake, just bucking and skipping and, and dancing at the voice of the Lord. And the whole of the ground, which we think is so stable, becoming unstable and, and bucking up and kicking up. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire, like a forked lightning, light hewed in two as God speaks and splits the light of the part. And the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. Mention of, I'm not quite sure, actually I do probably need Michael's help with this, having been rather rude to him earlier. The mention of deer, um, I think it reminds us that this world that's being smashed up and, 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 and destroyed is actually filled with, with God's creatures, with fragile creatures, but I'll, I'll defer to my, my colleague's wisdom in helping me with, with the mention of this. But we just see the, the whole of the Lord's creation, I think, in view there. And then this wonderful line, and in his temple all cry glory, glory. That is the response. Well, what is this temple? Well, we know at this point that Solomon's temple had not been constructed yet, um, but David longed for that to be built um, and wrote songs about that, that temple. But um, he speaks of the temple very often in, in the Psalms, and it's used really in a couple of ways. So the, the temple or the sanctuary of God speaks of God's throne room in heaven above and the Lord's sanctuary, but also of God's presence on earth with his people and he speaks of it in that sense that the temple on the earth was the earthly replica uh, of God's dwelling place God dwelling on earth with his people and think of how God had come down to dwell with his people think of Sinai where God came down with thunder and fire and lightning and cloud and these things were signs of his awesome presence and people they couldn't bear to hear the voice of the Lord God. I think this picks up on some of that imagery. Or think actually of the, the Ark of Noah, a place of God's presence, a place of protection, which if you think back to our studies in Genesis was built uh, like, a, like a temple. It was a three-storied building, like the temple was a three-storied building. It was a place of protection and refuge. And so when David speaks of the the temple or the tabernacle, he speaks of it as the place of the Lord's presence, uh, but as a place of refuge as well. And we've seen that, actually, if you uh, think back or look back to um, Psalm 27, where David says this in verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. There is David seeking God's presence for a place of protection and blessing. So this this temple scene here, as everyone in his temple cries glory, it's remarkable, isn't it? The destruction all around, the storm of God is breaking everywhere. You'd think everyone would be crying, oh no, help. But they're crying glory. There's this safe place. Here are the people of God, sheltered and blessed, protected from this uh, storm. And so we, we think of this temple imagery through the Bible, this, this place of safety, and then you just sort of let your mind think about how that then is fulfilled in Christ and in the New Testament. As the one who created all things, the word of God becomes flesh and makes his dwelling amongst us, and he, he tabernacles amongst us. He is the, the very presence of God with us. And Jesus said, didn't he, destroy, speaking of himself in his own body, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Jesus is the temple. He's the place where we go to meet with God. Christ is the place of protection. Christ is the ark. Christ is the safe place. Christ is the, the temple. And we, in him, we are built into Christ. We are that temple. We cry glory. We cry glory. Well, we'll come back to that uh, at at the end. But uh, moving on to last two verses, 10 and uh, 10 and 11, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And actually, there's a change in tense. It's not reflected in this this translation. It is in some of the other ones. Um, It's literally, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. Because um, when he speaks of the flood, this recalls Noah's flood. Um, so that the word, the word used for flood there is used 12 times in Genesis 6 through 9, speaking of the great deluge. Uh, and once more in the rest of the Old Testament. And the once more is Psalm 29. So he's not talking about any old flood in particular. He's talking about the great deluge, that great flood which broke upon the earth where the Lord sat enthroned. Remember how the Lord looked down. He saw a world filled with violence and wickedness and injustice. He was grieved to his heart and sends this terrible act of devastation. And in his, his wrath and burning anger sweeps away the whole world. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, the the holy God who created all things sat enthroned and he sits as king forever. So there is that historical event, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood, but then he says he sits enthroned forever. The, The Lord, our triune God who ruled over the flood is sitting on the throne. He reigns today. He reigns in 2021. So we worship and serve the Lord who not only created all things by his word of power, but one who governs and rules all things by his word of power. We're thinking last week in the catechism, what are uh, God's works of providence? 
God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, and governing all his creatures and all their actions. He governs all things by his word. And when it, when it says creatures there, kids, he's, um, he's not talking about the animals. He's talking about everything he has created, including the animals. So God not only created all things, he sustains and he governs and he rules all things. He sits as king forever. He providentially rules all things. The whole of creation, but not just the the rivers and the mountains and the storms and the animals and all these things, but also kingdoms and peoples and nations. God governs all of these things. And so actually, the, the mighty waters um, that we read about in, in the scriptures, often that there's, they often symbolize the pagan nations, the nations that surrounded Israel. So Psalm 65.7 says this. It talks of God who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. So waves and waters and, uh, and seas and surging waters. God speaks and it is calm. Christ speaks and the waves are flat. Is he just talking about storms on the beach? No, in, in, the, in, the, in the whole of the scriptures, you read the scriptures, he's talking about the nations. The Lord is sovereign over the nations. He can make the stormy nations cease. And that's a, that is an encouraging thought, isn't it? As we look out at the nations of the world, as we watch the news, as we, we consider where things are heading, we, we consider the rise of China. We, we consider what's happening in America. And we, we, we're concerned about these things. And we can feel like a, a very little people amongst surging nations and feel threatened. Well, the Lord is sovereign over that. He sits enthroned above many waters. And actually, it's not only the waters that are picked up in biblical symbolism, the trees. The trees symbolize people, symbolize men, kings. Think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, he's like a tree, but also kingdoms. Think of the book of Daniel, I think of Nebuchadnezzar, his vision of his kingdom. His, as this mighty tree where the, the beasts of the field would, would come in and take shelter and, and the animals would, would come in. The, the trees is a mighty kingdom. And in his pride and arrogance, God cut that down. God cut it down. The voice of the Lord strips the forest bare. The Lord can strip the economies of the world bare. You know, how many billions of pounds have been wiped from the UK's national asset sheet with, through, through COVID. You know, the Lord can speak a word and strip a kingdom bare of its assets quicker than you can say track and trace. And it's that quick. Okay? Um, and he is sovereign over these things. The Lord is sovereign. He can, he can dismantle secular humanism. He can dismantle the West and bring his acts of judgment upon it. And nevertheless, he's building his people. He's not lost control. His sovereignty will not be on the blink at that point. Okay? So we need to trust that the Lord sits enthroned forever, this year and next year and the year after. So as you think about your own life, and perhaps some of those anxieties over there kind of seep into our, our own lives, we need to trust that the Lord sits enthroned forever. He, uh, his eye is on his people. He cares for us. In verse 11, um, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people 
with peace. And there's a there's distinction here which we should just notice. He's talking about his people. A covenant God has, has got a people. The Lord makes a distinction between those who are his people and those who are not his people. We've been saying that, seeing that in Hosea, that kind of language. Um, do you remember how, how the Lord make, makes a distinction in the times of Noah? He, the, the world was brought under judgment, and yet he saved Noah and his household. Well, think of the, 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 those plagues in Egypt as the hail came down and stripped the, the forest bare, and yet the people of Israel were kept safe in the land of Goshen. And the Lord demonstrated that he was sovereign above all the gods of Egypt. Um, and, then, and in this psalm, God is demonstrating he is sovereign over all the gods of the, the nations then. But the Lord makes a distinction. He is able to care for his people, to be this saving refuge of his people. There are people, his people, are gathered in his temple and crying glory. And crying glory. And so all these things, as I've said, they find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We've seen he is the temple, he is the saving refuge. When Jesus was born, the angels sang glory to God in the heavens and peace to his people on earth. Jesus went to the cross, to the place of darkness and storm and tempest. He bore in his own body the the flood of God's judgment. And now he sits as king forever on the throne at the right hand of God, and his gospel rings out. His word rings out across the nations. And what is that word? It is a word of peace. It's a word of peace. Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He brings that word of peace. The Son of Man has got authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, repent of your sins, come to me. He speaks peace. His blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He speaks peace. And that is that that mighty word. And so we can can know that forgiveness. And yet, um, God has said a day when he'll judge the world in in justice. All the the judgments of the world that are poured out in history, as we see at the flood or we see in Exodus, those are just the the beginnings and the rumblings of the great day which is coming, where our holy God will, will make known his absolute perfect justice and bring judgment on the world. That day when the Son of Man comes in glory with all his holy angels with him, and he'll sit on the throne of glory, and all the nations gathered before him. And that's as we were thinking in midweek. And so, um, but on that day, those in his temple, his people will cry glory. So we see something here just of the majesty and the grace of our God. And as we, we draw to a close, what, what is our response? How do we respond to this? Well, I think there's just a couple of things really from the psalm which we've seen as we've gone through. First is just this, we are to trust him, trust God's sovereignty. He sits as king forever. He is sovereign over all things, sovereign over the whole of creation. But then there's just this call to worship. We see at the beginning, it's a call to worship of the whole of creation, isn't it? And here is people worshiping God 
Um, and the church, we're gathered as God's people who are to, to worship him. And that is where God is taking the whole of creation. That, that is the, the book of Psalms. We start with all these conflict and battles. Actually, you get to the end of Psalms, Psalms up to 150, um, and it's all worship. Praise the Lord. It's worship. The whole of creation is singing praise. And that is where the Bible ends, with worship. Worship to the Lamb who's on, on the throne. And so as we gather to worship the Lord, um, we, are, we are in line with God's purposes. It's sort of said that Christians are on the wrong side of history. Well, no, it's absolutely central to God's purposes of all that God is doing and will bring to fulfillment as the whole of creation rings forth his praise. And so as we worship, we worship uh, with the angels of heaven and we worship the lamb on the throne through whose death has brought us peace. Well, hallelujah. And it would be fitting, wouldn't it, at this point to uh, pray, so, uh, to praise God. So let me pray and then we'll sing our final song. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We worship you. We thank you for your sovereign power, for the power of your word. We praise you for your gracious word to us in Jesus Christ. Pray that by your Holy Spirit you would encourage us and you'd help us to seek that refuge in Christ, to trust in him and help us as we worship you. Amen. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K for more. Thank you.